We covered some of this on a Wednesday night a few weeks ago, and uh, we've expanded it some, and I wanted the rest of you to hear this. So tonight, why the tribulation? Why the tribulation? Look at Revelation chapter 6. We'll start reading in verse 1. And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. What's going on here? Remember, Revelation chapter 1 and verse 9 gives us the outline for the book of Revelation. He said, Write the things which thou hast seen, that's chapter 1, the things which are, that's chapters 2 and 3, and the things which shall be hereafter, that's chapters 4 through 22. Chapter 4, verse 1, the angel says, Come up hither. And John, the, uh, the beloved, the apostle, is taken up, and Jesus Christ himself reveals what is coming in the future. Remember that the world is divided up into three people groups, Jews, Gentiles, and the church of God. For each of those groups, God gave information about the end times. For the Jews, He gave the book of Ezekiel. For the Gentiles, He gave the book of Daniel. And for the church of God, He gave the book of Revelation. So for us, if we're going to understand what God is going to be doing hereafter, we must understand the book of Revelation. But you can't understand the book of Revelation. There are 800 references, 800 allusions to the Old Testament in the book of Revelation. Um, if you look at the order of the books of your Bible, when you get after the church epistles and you get to uh, first, and second, first and Second Peter, James, Jude, First, Second, and Third John and Revelation, that was called the Antilegomena by people that were translating the Bible. They put it in that place in your Bible because they didn't know whether or not it was true. They didn't understand it. Martin Luther took his copy of the book of James and threw it in the fire. said he didn't believe it was true. Because they couldn't understand. They had been taught a system of belief called replacement theology. So what they believed, that when, remember we studied that on that's your interpretation, that's just your interpretation. Origen started an allegorical interpretation of the Bible and he said that the church had replaced Israel. The Jews rejected God and so God was finished with the Jews and now Israel has replaced, or the church has replaced Israel. So all of the promises in the Old Testament that God gave to Israel now apply to the church. And all of that law from the Old Testament now applies to the church. And so it became a real convoluted understanding of the Scriptures. But here's the problem. If you don't believe that Jesus Christ is going to come back and take His church, his, the born-again people, out and purge the nation of Israel so they turn back to Him, if you don't believe that, you, don't, you can't understand First and Second Peter. You can't understand James. You can't understand John, the, John's epistles. And you certainly can't understand the book of Revelation. They didn't believe it. They struggled with it. They thought this was all allegory and all stories. Now, we know that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Amen? So now that Israel has been restored... We understand that we're living in the last of the last days. The times of the Gentiles has ended. We're living on borrowed time because Israel is a nation again. Now we really need to examine these scriptures. And I think you're going to see some things tonight that you're going to look around and you're going to say, it's going on right now. We're seeing this 
right now. So Revelation chapter 6, verse 2. And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. This is the beginning of the tribulation period. You know, how many of you have thought about the end of the world with the Japan earthquake? Right? Japan moved eight feet. The nation of Japan moved eight feet. The earth moved on its axis a little bit. The day is now shorter than it was before the 8.9 earthquake in Japan. Does that mean the tribulation's right here? No, because in Matthew chapter 24, when Jesus Christ said this was going to happen, he said, but the end is not yet. These are the beginnings of sorrows. So this, but the Bible does say that the earth groans. The earth is groaning for the return of Jesus Christ. We're seeing that groaning. The, the earth is in death throes. It's winding down. That's where we are. Uh, Dave Spicer has done a study. He, his training was in earth science. And he's done a study and he's seen uh, for the last 20 years, the earthquakes, the, it's just the exponential growth of earthquakes because the end is coming. Keep your place here to go to Matthew chapter 24. I'll show you something that Jesus Christ said about this. Matthew chapter 24 in verse 21, the Bible says, For then, this is Jesus Christ saying, the disciples had come and said, what, what, When is going to be the end of the age? What's it going to be like? And Jesus answers them, For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, nor ever shall be. So no one can imagine how bad the tribulation period is going to be. The dark ages were nothing compared to the tribulation period. Is that what Jesus just said? Okay, now look at what he says in the next verse. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. What just happened with the Japan earthquake? The day was shortened. This is a part of the grace of God. This judgment is going to be so bad that if the days weren't shortened, Nobody would live through it. Why in the world would he do that? Why would he do that? Back to Revelation chapter 6. So what happens at the beginning of this tribulation is the Antichrist is revealed. The beast is revealed. And that's what happens. And he is introduced with four horsemen. The first horseman is the white horse. And I saw and behold a white horse. And he that sat on him had a bow and a crown was given unto him. And he went forth conquering and to conquer. Notice he has a bow and a crown, but he doesn't have any arrows. There's no sword. So he has power, but he conquers with peace. So now when you look at the world system, imagine we gave, they gave the Nobel Peace Prize to a man that's never broken up a fight in kindergarten in Barack Obama. Right? Remember, he got the Nobel Peace Prize. Nobody could figure out why. It was an embarrassment. What is the world going to do to somebody that brings peace to Libya? That brings peace to Egypt? That brings peace between Israel and Egypt? What are they going to do? They're going to fall down and follow Him because that is the Savior they want. 
See, they don't want Jesus Christ. They don't want righteousness. The world is seeking for peace. They're not seeking for holiness. They're seeking for peace. Jesus Christ is called the Prince of Peace. Amen? But that's not the Jesus that they accepted. Jesus Christ, when He came, said, I came not to bring peace on the earth. I came to bring a sword. Matthew chapter 10. They didn't want the Jesus that came. They're looking for a Messiah that will give them peace on their terms. That's what they're looking for. And that's what this first horseman will bring. But look what the second horseman does. In verse 3, And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, Come and see. And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given to him that sat thereon to do what now? To take peace from the earth. Now look at what it says. That they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. So now what's going to happen? How is he going to take peace from the earth? Peace comes, and then the next thing that happens is there's no peace. Right now, there is relative peace. Right? We're not going around killing each other. Amen? Well, Detroit, maybe. But we're not going around killing each other. There is relative peace. Amen? Why? Why is that? Why is there peace in America? Because we have the, the ability to defend ourselves. Remember what Nixon said in uh, No More Vietnams, any nation that believes it can maintain peace using only peaceful means will soon be a peace of another nation. Right? So the idea is we have peace through power. We have peace through strength. But what happens? What happened at the end of the Cold War? Well, we have no more enemies. Let's disarm. Right? It's exactly what happened. The Antichrist comes in. He brings peace and he has disarmament. We no longer need to fight. Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 4. It's on the wall at the United Nations. Beat your swords into pruning hooks and your spears into plowshares. That's what's on the wall at the United Nations. Disarmament. Disarmament. Peace through disarmament. That's where we're going. Hey, look, this whole world is getting along now. We have peace. Everybody's your brother. I'd like to teach the world to sing. Right? That's, that's where the whole world is going. The next step is disarmament. And then, when everyone's disarmed, here comes the removal of the peace. And everyone can start killing each other because now everyone's equal. What was the Colt 45 called? The peacemaker. Why? Why was it called the peacemaker? Because you mess with me, I'll kill you. And that brought peace. But everybody now, disarm, 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 disarm. That's the cry of the world. When Jesus Christ told his disciples when he went out, take your sword with you. What? What? Everybody's got it messed up because the world doesn't understand what the Bible says. So the second horseman comes and he takes peace from the earth and he is given a great sword. And when, verse 5, and when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see, and I beheld a black horse. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. 
And I heard her voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny. And see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. Now understand what this penny is. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 20, in verse 2, that a penny is a day's wage. So what the Bible is saying that a day's wage will be a measure of barley or a measure of wheat. You will work. If, if you are able to find work, you will have to work all day to have a measure of wheat. And no more iPods. You know, no more shopping malls. This is the destruction of the world economy because there's no money and there's no food. Now, understand where we are right now. Food prices are the highest in the world that they've ever been. People are starving to death all over the world because of the drought in New Zealand, the drought in Australia, and the corn crops being given to ethanol. Rather than planting wheat, farmers are planting corn because they get paid more for corn so that we can have ethanol, and it costs more to make ethanol, than the, it harms the environment more to make ethanol than it does to burn gasoline, but the environmentalists make us insane. So imagine this, these people that are trying to save the world are killing millions of people in the world right now. So now we're seeing this crunch of food, this crunch of energy. Now imagine what it's going to be like in the tribulation period. Do you remember our missionary this morning to New Guinea describing these people that spend their entire day laboring to have enough food for one meal? The Bible says that's coming to the whole world. The whole world. Let's read on. Verse 7, And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was death, and hell followed after him. Death, death, death. Death takes you to the grave. Death takes you to the grave. And hell is your Christless eternity. That's what's going on in the tribulation period. Death takes your body. Hell takes your soul. That's the fourth beast. That's the fourth rider. This is what Antichrist brings to the world. It's an awful, awful, awful time. Why would he do this? Why in the world would God do this? It's a worldwide economic collapse. There's so many things going on. Look at what the text says. Read on in verse 8. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was death, and hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill. Now look at how he kills, how they kill. With sword, and with hunger, and with death, and with the beasts of the earth. One-fourth of the earth. How many people live in the world right now? About six billion about 6 billion, heading towards 7 billion. Imagine almost 2 billion people dying just like this. They're gone. Five years of World War II, 60 million people died. And it was called the war to end all wars. It was, it was awful. How many of you know someone that died in World War II? Yeah. It, it touched every American home. It touched every home in the world. 60, 60 million people in five years. This is almost 2 billion people like this. 
why in the world would God do that? Uh, Just recently, MSNBC, just this past week, said that the Bible is a work of fiction, and in the book of Revelation, God is presented as the greatest mass murderer in the history of the world. This week, this past week, that was on MSNBC. One of their commentators said that. Why in the... But you know what the sad thing is? It's not a work of fiction. God being the biggest mass murderer, it's true. Why would he do that? Why? How many of you believe that the Bible is true? There are going to be billions of people who die in the tribulation period. Why would God do that? Well, He's told us He was going to. He, he told us how we could have peace. He told us how we could have joy. He told us how we could have life. And He told us what the result of rejecting that would be. Turn with me to the book of Leviticus. We're going to... We're going to scour the Scriptures tonight and try and find out why would God do this. Leviticus chapter 26. And I want you to notice everything that we read in Revelation chapter 6. Remember what's happening there. Look at Leviticus chapter 26. Let's start reading in verse 21. And if you walk contrary unto me, and will not hearken unto me, I will bring seven times more plagues upon you according to your sins. I will also send wild beasts among you, which shall rob you of your children, and destroy your cattle, and make you few in number, and your highways shall be desolate. And if you will not be reformed by me by these things, but will walk contrary unto me, then will I also walk contrary unto you. Now, notice what he's saying. You can be for me or you can be against me. You can can walk with me or you can walk contrary to me. Now, how many of you think it might be a blessing and a help and life and health to walk with him? How many of you think that that's right? But what the world doesn't understand is what it means to go against God. And here's what he says. Look at verse 25. So, verse 24, Then will I also walk contrary unto you, and will punish you yet seven times for your sins. And I will bring a sword... Now, now, seven times. What is that talking about? What is seven? It's the number of perfection. This is perfect and righteous judgment. All right? Then look at what it says. Verse 25, And I will bring a sword upon you. So, what have we seen so far? Beasts. And a sword. And I will bring a sword upon you that shall avenge the quarrel of my covenant. And when ye are gathered together within your cities, I will send the pestilence, disease, among you. And ye shall be delivered into the hand of the enemy. Going to kill each other. And when I have broken... Now, now let's stop here for a second. Now, how many of you think this is really bad? This is really, really bad. In Job chapter 2 and verse 4... Satan is tempting Job. And he says, skin for skin. Yea, I say, a man will give anything for his life. 
A man will give anything he hath to save his own life. That is what Satan said to God. And what did God say? Not so with my servant Job. But remember what's happened. The rapture has taken place. Revelation chapter 4, every saved person is gone. Amen? So we are the preserving influence in this world. The only reason man restrains himself at all is because the believers are here. Now, now don't miss this. Look at your text. Here's how bad it gets. Here's how bad it gets. Look at the next verse. Verse 26. And when I have broken the staff of your bread, ten women shall bake your bread in one oven, and they shall deliver you your bread again by weight, and ye shall eat it and not be satisfied. Remember, only one measure of wheat for your whole family. Ten families will be able to bake their bread in one oven. That's not enough food to live on. That's exactly what that horseman brought, his scales, and he changed the economic system to where there's not enough money and not enough food for people to live. And look what people do when that happens. Verse 27, And if you will not, for all this hearken unto me, but walk contrary to me, then I will walk contrary unto you, unto you also, in fury. And I, even I, will chastise you seven times for your sins. And ye shall eat the flesh of your sons, and the flesh of your daughters shall ye eat. This is how bad the world is going to get. It's going to be so, there's going to be so much devastation that people are eating their children. You say, how could that possibly be? I would never do that. Folks, we don't have any idea what we would do without the Holy Spirit of God. We don't have any idea how wicked we are in our flesh. That's why. God takes us out so we never have to experience this kind of tribulation. What in the world would ever cause somebody to eat their own child? Revelation chapter 8. Revelation chapter 8. And verse 7. Revelation chapter 8, verse 7. The first angel sounded. Remember what happens? There are seven seals. Who is worthy to open the book and loose the seals thereof? And there was one that was worthy. Amen? The Lion of the tribe of Judah. He is worthy. And he opens the seals, and those seals begin the tribulation. The seventh seal opens seven trumpet judgments. This is the first trumpet judgment. Verse 6, And the seven angels which had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. The first angel sounded, and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood, and they were cast upon the earth. Now look at what this says. And the third part of the trees was burnt up, and all the green grass was burned up. All the grass on the earth is gone. A third of the green trees are gone. Where's the oxygen going to come from? What are the animals going to eat? How are we going to feed our animals? We're not. And the second angel sounded, verse 8. And as it were, a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea. And a third part of the sea became blood. And the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died. And the third part of the ships 
were destroyed. Oh, if it's that bad, I'll get on a ship. A third of the ships in the world are destroyed. Where are you going to go? What are you going to do? Where are you going to get your food? How are you going to have transportation? Then look at what it says. In the third part, verse 9, And the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died. And the third part of the ships were destroyed. And the third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp, and it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of the waters. And the name of the star is called Wormwood. And the third part of the waters became Wormwood. And many men died of the waters because they were made bitter. I'll tell you something interesting, and I don't know if it has any prophetic significance, but just think about what's been going on for the last two weeks in Japan. Do you know what Chernobyl means in English? Wormwood. Now, that sounds like you're making it up, doesn't it? That's just what it means. So imagine what would happen to the waters around Japan right now if an earthquake... Does that sound anything like what we're reading here? But before you get carried away with a nuclear meltdown, the Bible says this is a star that fell from heaven. Man didn't do this. God did. All right, so now let's read on. Verse 12, And the fourth angel sounded, and the third part of the sun was smitten, and the third part of the moon, and the third part of the stars, so as the third part of them was darkened, and the day shone not for a third part of it, and the night likewise. Do you see the days being shortened? The nights being shortened? That's what's going on here. It's all coming apart. And I beheld and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the other voices of the trumpets of the three angels which are yet to sound. Do you see how bad it's going to get? Do you see how bad this world is going to be? Why in the world would God do this? Well, I'll tell you why. Because the world said, we don't want your Christians. We don't want your God. That's what the world said. So what does God do? He takes the Christians out. You don't have them anymore. You don't want me? Let me show you what happens without me. You say, God's not that vindictive, is He? It's not vindictive. He told them 3,000 years ago what He would do. Amen? He wrote it down. He preserved it in the most publicized uh, literature in the history of mankind. He has told us over and over and over and over again. But in America, we're too busy. We're too busy to read the Bible. We're too busy to heed the warnings of God. We're too entangled with the affairs of this life to go outside these walls and tell other people that Jesus Christ is coming. He's the Savior. And you need a Savior. See, the problem is when we give the gospel, many times people don't understand their need. They think they're okay. And they don't understand how badly they have offended a holy God. And God has told them over and over and over again. I want you to see what God had promised them. Deuteronomy 
chapter 29. Deuteronomy chapter 29. Deuteronomy 29 and verse 15. So here is God making a covenant with the people in the land. And he says this, But with him that standeth here with us this day before the Lord our God, and also with him that is not here with us this day. For you know how we have dwelt in the land of Egypt, and how we came through the nations which ye passed by. Now look at what it says. And you have seen their abominations and their idols, wood and stone, silver and gold, which were among them. Lest there should be among you man or woman or family or tribe whose heart turneth away this day from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of these nations. Lest there should be among you a root that beareth gall and wormwood. So here's what God says. If you do this, if you go after these other gods, I will bring you gall, which is bitterness, and wormwood, which is poison water. So what I'm going to do, I'll warn you with wormwood and poison water, or, or with gall, bitterness, and poison water. I will warn you. Now look at what he says. And it come to pass, when he heareth, verse 19, and it come to pass, when he heareth the words of this curse, that he, listen, Bless himself in his heart, saying, I shall have peace, though I walk in the imagination of mine own heart, or of mine heart, to add drunkenness to thirst. So here's what he says. Here's what the world will do. The world, and Israel, and then by extension the other nations, that's what it says, what we'll do is we'll ignore what God has said about his truth. And we'll say in our heart, I can have peace without obedience to Christ. I can have peace without obedience to the Word of God. I have my own religion. Don't talk to me. That's what you believe. I have my own faith. How many of you have ever heard somebody say that? Look at what God says. Verse 20. The Lord will not spare him. But then the anger of the Lord and his jealousy shall smoke against that man... And all the curses that are written in this book shall lie upon him, and the Lord shall blot out his name from under the heaven. Did God warn them? Has God warned us? Yes. Yes. Look with me at Proverbs chapter 5. Proverbs chapter 5. Why the tribulation? Why would God do this? It's not a spontaneous thing. It's not just... A temper tantrum. Look at what the Bible says. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 1. My son, attend unto my wisdom, and bow thine ear to my understanding, that thou mayest regard discretion, and that thy lips may keep knowledge. Okay, so what does a wise man do? A wise man attends unto wisdom and bows his ear, makes an effort, bows his ear to listen. That's what a wise man does. A fool rejects the teaching of Scripture and goes after another god. We're going to see that. Look at the next verse. For the lips of a strange woman drop as in honeycomb, and her mouth is smoother than oil. You can be happy. God wants you to be happy. 
You don't deserve to be poor. God wants you to be happy. Just, just believe Him. Just worship God in your own way. You're not a bad person. What is that? That's the lips of a strange woman. You say, Joel Osteen's not a woman. Well, that's debatable. <laughs> but look, verse 4, but her end is as bitter as what? Isn't that interesting? Look at what it says. Sharp as a what? Her feet go down to where? Her steps take hold on hell. The sword? Wormwood? Death and hell? The strange woman is a harlot. What is the religion of the tribulation? Revelation chapter 17, Mystery Babylon. The woman, and she's called a harlot, Jezebel. So what this is, this is the warning of what happens to people that go after a false religion. This is what the end is. God has promised. He's told us. Just look at the words. He didn't hide it. It's there. Look, all of this. Why the tribulation? It's the wages of sin. It's the wages of sin. A couple more things and we'll be done. Look at Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Let's read verse 3. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Prove creation to me. No, by faith. Amen? By faith. Do you know that that's a requirement for salvation? Here, look at verse 6. But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. See, this is vitally important that we get this. God created the world and He presents Himself in the Scriptures as the Creator. Because He is the Creator, He has ownership. He has the prerogative to order your life. Amen? And so when He begins, in the beginning, God, there's no explanation for Him. That's the assumption of His existence. And so when we come to Him, we must believe. What's the first thing that you have to believe to get saved? That He is. And then how did He reveal that He was God? He created the heavens and the earth. And what does the world say? We do not believe in God. We don't want you. We don't want your people. We don't want your word. Right? Is that the world we live in? Okay. Look at Genesis chapter 1. I want you to notice something. And I want you to notice if you see any similarity between... Revelation chapters 6, Revelations chapter, Revelation chapter 8. So Revelation chapters 6 and 8. I want, you to, if you, I want to know if you see anything similar to Genesis chapter 1. Look with me in verse 4. And God saw the light that it was good, and He divided the light from the darkness. Verse 9. And God said, Let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place.
and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters called he seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth bring forth grass and herb yielding seed and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass and herb yielding seed after his kind and the tree yielding fruit whose seed was in itself after his kind. And God saw that it was good. Look at verse 15. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. And He made the stars also. Look at verse 20. And God said, Let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life and fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of the heaven. And God created great whales and every living creature that moveth which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind, and God saw that it was good. Look at verse 24. And God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing, the beast of the earth after his kind. And it was so. What in the world happened here? God created everything. Man said, We don't want your God. God, we don't want you. We're going to worship the creature rather than the Creator. We're going to worship the creation rather than the Creator. And God said, okay, you want your own son? Make your own. You want your own grass? You don't want mine? Make your own. You don't like my beasts? I'll let my beasts do to you what you think you can control. Every bit of the creation... God addresses in Revelation chapter 6 and 8. Why in the world does He do that? Why? Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. Remember each of these churches was a... Uh, historic church. All six of the last came out of Ephesus. Each of them, their name describes a period in history and the character of a church. Jesus Christ addresses each of these churches and in His addressing to them, He gives Himself titles. And the title that He gives Himself tells us what the problem will be in that age. And so when He gives His name, He says, this will be the answer to the problem of the age. Look at what the Bible says. Unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, write, These things saith the Amen. What does that mean? It is true. So Jesus is saying in this Laodicean period, people will, saying truth do, will say truth doesn't exist. You can have your truth, I can have my truth. Jesus Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Then it says the faithful and true witness. Jesus is saying that what we're going to need right now is a faithful and true witness. In this Laodicean age, we will not have faithful and true witnesses. That's why the Pope can say that God didn't create the earth, that He used evolution. That's why almost none of the seminaries in America teach a a literal six-day creation. They don't believe it. They don't believe it. Do you know that God said that would happen? Look at what Jesus Christ says His next name is. These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Now, don't miss this. 
Who is this written to? This is written to the people that claim to be Christians in this period of time. Jesus is saying to Christians, you don't believe the truth. You receive false witnesses. And you do not believe that I am the Creator. He's the beginning of the creation of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Right? They don't believe that He's the Creator. So what does He do? He takes the true believers out. And this false church steps right in and accepts the false Messiah. And God begins giving them exactly what they have asked for. Why the tribulation? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and we'll be done. You would think, you would think that with all of the suffering that men would turn to God. Wouldn't you think that? But they're only going to turn to what they believe in. If they worship nature and their God is being destroyed, why would they turn to the one true God then? They don't believe in Him. They're going to turn to what they believe in. Do you know why they do? Do you know how they do that? Keep your place in 1 Corinthians. You've got to see this. They will turn to what they believe in. Back to Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6. It's interesting. You would think that people on their deathbed would turn to Christ. You you would think that. But look at what the Bible says. Revelation chapter 6, verse 14. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. How could that happen? Japan, eight feet. Right? And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks, of the mountains, and said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us. What do they worship? The creation. Who do they turn to when their creation is being destroyed? Creation. They're going to turn to what they believe in. And they pray. Here's what they pray. And they pray to the mountains and the rocks. Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Do you know what the answer to that is? No one. Why the tribulation? 1 Corinthians 10, 26. For the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. It's His. He has given it to us. He's told us how to live in it. And even we as believers struggle to be obedient to the simple things that He's commanded us to do. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that is not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as a manner of some is. The simple commands 
that God has told us to do, we struggle with those. So here, Pastor, why did you tell us all that tonight? Because we're getting ready to have three nights of focused Bible study where the Holy Spirit will have the opportunity to speak to us in a special way from His Word. And we as a people become so easily distracted by everything out there when we really need, we really need for God through His Word to focus us back to what's important. As we're thinking of, how many of you have loved ones that are lost? They're just lost. This is what's coming. So what are we supposed to do? We must be faithful and true witnesses who believe in the truth of the Word of God and who exalt the Creator by walking worthy of the vocation wherewith we are called. Amen? Folks, we need to understand. Uh, is there someone here tonight that would say, Pastor, there's no doubt that at least in the last few days, weeks, whatever, I've definitely been distracted by this world. So any here that say that? Amen. Me too. Folks, we need to understand how bad it's going to get. It's already starting. Now, Christ could wait 100 years to return. We don't know when He's going to come back, right? But everything that's spoken of is already starting. Can we focus our lives? Can we do that? Grace Baptist Church, can we do that? Can we say, Lord, whatever you want, I'll give you. Whatever you reveal to me from your word, I will do. And let's give him some time to speak to us through his word. This is very important. Very, very important. Lord, thank you so much for your word.